coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our great friends at MyBookie. We've got a new promo code for you guys right now. Go to MyBookie.ag, and if you're a brand new user, use the code 200CASH to get a 10% cash bonus on your first deposit all the way up to $200. This is very different from your typical sports betting promo where you have to have like a 10 to 15 times playthrough and it's almost impossible to get your money out. With a cash bonus, it is money added straight to your account. It's no free play. It's nothing like that. It's straight to your account and you only have to bet the amount you deposited and then you are free to withdraw it and do whatever you want with it. So this is a really great deal, guys. Take advantage of it while you can. Again, it's mybookie.ag. Use the promo code 200 cash. And as you guys know, I am your host, Tyler, and today I'm going to reveal my updated SEC power rankings. But first, I do have a couple shout-outs I want to throw out there quickly. We have a couple of five-star ratings and reviews that have come in over the past week. So I have to give a big shout-out to Airborne Dog, Bulldogs52, that's 2G. So we're talking Winder Barrow or just a screen name? I don't know. But Bulldogs52 and Kelby Holbrook, actually Kelby Holbrook and Randy Holbrook, Thank you guys so much for those five-star reviews. I promise you, all of us here at the Glory UGA Podcast, myself, Charlie Curtis, we sincerely appreciate that. I know life gets busy, guys, and it seems like it's such an easy thing to just click that five-star button and take a few minutes to type out a little review. I know it seems like it's easy, but when life gets busy and things get going during the week, it's hard to just sit down for five minutes or so and do that. So I thank you guys so much for that. Believe it or not, it is a huge help for a podcast like ours trying to attract new listeners and keep this thing rolling like we have for the past nine years. So thank you, thank you, and thank you for helping us counteract those Tennessee one-star bombs after I did that video detailing why Georgia is just better than Tennessee right now. So that's a huge help, guys. We greatly appreciate you. But moving on, yes, those of you who have been listening to this podcast for a couple of years, you know that during the season, this is usually the point in the week where I am giving you guys your full-on game preview episode for the coming week's game. But we have one more, one final non-Power 5 game to suffer through, and I know that no one out there wants to listen to me break down UAB for an hour. So I will spare you that, but I don't want to leave you guys hanging. You guys expect content, and I want to deliver that content. So today I am going to call an audible like I did between the UT Martin and Ball State games and give you my updated SEC Power Rankings, Volume 2 of the Glory UGA SEC Power Rankings, if you will. I've had a chance now to watch at least some of every single SEC team. Now, I've watched full games for about 10 of them at this point. I've watched multiple games for about five of them. So I've got a lot better feel for these teams than I did following week one. A lot more data points, a lot more info to work with. So it's time to update things. And just remember, guys, this is a power ranking. This is not me saying this is where I think each team is going to finish in the league. This is me saying all things being equal, playing on a neutral site, everyone on the team is healthy, who do I think is better? So just keep that in mind. And now, two weeks after the initial power rankings that I put out following week one, There has been a lot of movement. Only a handful of teams are actually in the same spot they were in week one or following week one. So a lot of movement. We'll get through all of these teams here, all 14 teams, but there's no movement at the bottom. And that's where we're going to start. We're going to work our way up from 14 all the way to number one. And at the bottom, in fact, there's no movement at all with number 14 or 13. I've still got the Vanderbilt Commodores coming in at number 14 in my SEC power rankings. Now, I did contemplate moving them up a spot ahead of Mississippi State, who I have at 13. Mississippi State is terrible, guys. This is not a good football team. I told you guys coming to the year, I think I had them going 4-8. and eight. They were not going to be good. And it's really playing out the exact way I thought it would. They're trying to run an offensive system that they're just simply not equipped to run with the personnel that they have on hand. Namely, Will Rogers at quarterback, who's just not a fit for a pro-style offense. It's crazy. This guy who is on the cusp of breaking all these SEC records has basically 
been relegated to a supporting role. He's thrown for 492 yards in three games, guys. 492 yards. I mean, he's attempted 74 passes on the entire year. Throughout his career, he's thrown the ball at least 60 times in a single game, four times. This is a totally different offense, and they don't have the personnel to do it. The offensive line, yeah, they get some guys from the portal, but this offensive line was recruited largely to play in the air raid, not this pro-style attack that they are trying to play. I do think that Woody Marks at running back is a good SEC back. He's a good player but they don't have the receivers. They don't have, and the receivers that they had, they're used to run the air raid. Remember Ra Ra Thomas playing in that offense and the transition, the difficulties he's had transitioning to our offense, their entire receiving core is having to make that transition and it's not working well. And that's why they're just trying to run the football almost every single snap, it seems like. But they're not good enough to do that against SEC caliber opponents as we saw last week against LSU. And LSU guys, they just absolutely murdered Mississippi State. They beat them. We know the final score is 41-14. That does not tell the whole story. If you watch that game, it was way, way worse. That They were just destroying this team. LSU outgained them 530 yards to 201 yards. And here's the thing. Mississippi State did not turn the ball over one time in that game. And they still got bludgeoned. When you get bludgeoned like that, typically it's like, you know, you help the team out. You turn the ball over a lot. That didn't happen. LSU just flat out beat the hell out of Mississippi State. And the week before that, I watched the entire Mississippi State-Arizona game because I had money on that game. And you better believe I bet on Arizona because I do not trust Mississippi State as I've made clear really all offseason. And Arizona should have won the football game outright. I considered taking a money line bet to pick Arizona to win outright. I didn't go that far. They were nine-point dogs. I took the spread. I went pretty heavy on that one. And I won that one pretty easily. Arizona ends up losing the game, but they lost it in overtime after turning the ball over five times. Turned the ball over five times, and it took Mississippi State to go to overtime to beat them when they won the turnover battle 5-0 to zero in that game. That should tell you just how bad Mississippi State is. I think there is a very real possibility that Zach Arnett is going to be a one-and-done coach. I think that him going to this pro-style offense and making that transition from the air raid in his first year on the job, and he got that job basically by default— I think it was a very risky move, and I think it's going to ultimately end up costing him his job. But I do have them ahead of Vanderbilt because Will Rogers is a guy that, even though he's not a fit for this system, he's still got more built-in reps. He's got more experience in the SEC. I trust him a little bit more than A.J. Swan, who I think is a talented quarterback, has more upside than Will Rogers. But he is still a guy that is prone to some very questionable decisions and turns the ball over far too much for my liking. I do think Vanderbilt has a couple of good players on offense, and Will Shepard and McGowan. And, and Swan can be a good player. He's just got to stop turning the ball over. But outside of that, I mean, their, their lines of scrimmage, guys, that it's just bad. I mean, they can they can beat teams outside the SEC, at least outside the Power Five. But SEC teams, the only way they're going to beat an SEC team is if they have a, the right spot where a team is just like the walking wounded or a team just has come off a big loss and they're demoralized and kind of give up, giving up on the season. If Vandy catches a team like that, maybe they can pull off an upset, but it's going to take a situation like that for that to happen. And I have not seen that changing based on the past couple of weeks. So yeah, the bottom two teams are still Vanderbilt at 14 and Mississippi State at 13. Now, I do have a change at number 12. Originally, in volume one of these power rings, I had the Missouri Tigers. I'm still not a full-on believer in Missouri. We'll get to them in a minute. But they showed me a little something beating Kansas State. I honestly did not think that was a game that they would win. They really probably shouldn't have won that game, but hey, they won the game. So give them credit. So I had to kind of update my, my rankings when it came to Missouri. They moved up a little bit. We'll get to them in a minute here. But falling down from number 10 to number 12 is the Auburn Tigers. I also watched Auburn. Like I watched Mississippi State play every single snap against Arizona. I subjected myself to watching every single snap of the Auburn Cow game. And my God, what a pathetic showing of offensive football. Now you can sit here and say, if you watched some of that game, I don't know if you guys did. It was a late 10 o'clock game, week two. You can say it was great defense. It wasn't great defense, guys. I mean, both teams are solid on defense. They ain't that good on defense. The offenses were just absolutely putrid, and it was disgusting to watch, but I watched every single second of it because it's college football, and hey, man, you got you to gotta live it up and enjoy every single second of it while you can, but Auburn in that game had 230 total yards of offense. Cal had 273, and the final score was Auburn 14, Cal 10. Just terrible, terrible offensive football. Auburn threw for 94 yards in that game, guys. Peyton Thorne is not the answer. Peyton Thorne is more competent as a passer than Robbie Ashford is. 
but he is not the answer. There's a reason why Michigan State bought him out last year. They played way over their heads in 2021. Now, Peyton Thorne was not solely responsible for that, but Peyton Thorne was not an elite quarterback. He was a better quarterback. He would still be at Michigan State, and they would have won more games than they did last year. They would have gone to a bowl game, but that's not who he is. He's he's solid-ish. He's competent. He's not dynamic. He's not a game changer. He moves a little bit better than you would think he does, but he doesn't move at a Robbie Ashford level, and they just have an issue at quarterback because they have this guy who's a a solid, competent passer in Peyton Thorne. And you have Robbie Ashford, who is just a flat-out dynamic athlete but cannot complete a forward pass to save his life. And so they just are constantly switching these guys in and out. And it's not from drive to drive, guys. It's sometimes from play to play within a drive. They simply do not have an answer at quarterback right now. I do think defensively they have some pretty good players. I was absolutely blown away by Eugene Asante in that game. That guy... Looked to me like an All-American. I mean, I, and that's not hyperbole, guys. That guy was playing an All-American caliber level. In that one game, he was all over the field, pressuring the passer. He plays linebacker, filling against the run between the tackles, pressuring the passer, playing in space against the pass, chasing guys down the field. That guy is a dynamic player. He came out of nowhere. He's never done that at Auburn in his life. Had 12 tackles in that game, a sack, tackle for loss, pass deflection, was constantly in the backfield, pressuring the quarterback. That guy is at least in that one game, was elite. Now, can he do it consistently against SEC opponents? I, I think so, based off what I saw. I think he's a really good player. They have some good players in their secondary. DJ James is a good player. By no means are they elite as a unit on that side of the ball, but that's a pretty solid SEC defense. Offensively, though, they just they have problems. They have no answer at quarterback right now. Running the football, their offensive line leaves something to be desired still for, what, the third or fourth year in a row. Jarquez Hunter is back and playing after being suspended for that first game. But he's, he's not Tank Bigsby. He's solid. He's fine. Uh, they have another guy, Damari Austin, who is kind of splitting carries with Hunter. I think Austin might actually be better than Hunter based off what I've seen. It's limited sample size, but I think he's a solid player. But really, Robbie Ashford is the most dynamic runner in that group from the quarterback position. And you know with Hugh Freeze, they're going to find ways to use his skill set. Hugh Freeze traditionally has been very effective in the QB run game, and Ashford might be the most, not Matt, he, he not might, he is the most athletic quarterback that he has had to work with in my estimation. So he's going to be a factor all year, but it's just so tough for your offense to get into a rhythm when you're constantly rotating quarterbacks in and out. Again, not like from drive to drive, play to play within drives. They also simply do not have any playmakers at receiver. They're fine there. Their best playmaker as a pass catcher is a transfer tight end they've got named Rivaldo Fairweather. That dude is, he can play. He can play. Now, the problem is they just don't have a quarterback to consistently get him the ball, but he made a, a really nice touchdown catch against Cal. He's a good athletic guy. Not a great inline blocker, but that's not necessarily what they need him to do in that Hugh Freeze, Phil Montgomery offense. But there's just not a ton of playmakers. There's just not a ton of playmakers on that offense. I think they'll be fine. I do think they can get to six wins potentially, but I really do not expect them to be able to compete against the top teams in the league. So yeah, I had them up at number 10, but... After that Cal game, after watching that disaster of an offensive performance, I had to downgrade them a little bit and put them down at number 12. Coming in at number 11, this is one of the teams that did stay in the exact same spot, is the South Carolina Gamecocks. Now, I've had a chance to watch every one of their games. Obviously, we had to play them last week. So, clearly, I watched North Carolina game week one. I watched the Furman game week two. And, of course, I was in the stadium and now rewatched the game a couple of times. So, I have a pretty good feel for South Carolina and this is a team that has pieces. You guys all saw that. Spencer Rattler, I will stand by it right now, is playing like the best quarterback in the SEC. I will also stand by my statement that I think that the combination of Spencer Rattler and Xavier Leggett right now is the best one-two punch in the SEC at receiver. Only rivaled maybe right now by Jaden Daniels and League Neighbors at LSU. But that's a really, really strong combination. But the issue for South Carolina simply is offensive line play. Really line of scrimmage play. Their defensive line is certainly ahead of their offensive line, but that offensive line is absolutely abysmal. It, it's not even it's not an SEC caliber offensive line, guys. It's maybe it's a G5 caliber offensive line. It's really what it is. It's just so bad. And Spencer Rattler, it's, it's borderline miraculous. The numbers that he's put up this year, at least coming into last week, with that offensive line is crazy. I mean, they can't run the football. They can't protect him. And this is still very much a line of scrimmage league. And outside of Vanderbilt, I don't think it's a stretch to say that South Carolina has the worst lines of scrimmage in the entire SEC. So when you're in that situation, I simply cannot have you much higher than number 11. So the Gamecocks, despite having what I think is the best quarterback in the SEC, a great receiver in Xavier Leggett, if they can ever get Juice Wells back fully healthy, you know, he caught that first touchdown catch and he's out of the game. If they never get him back healthy, which I don't know, it sounds like he's got a broken bone in his foot now. That's tough, man. If they can get him healthy though, maybe they move up a little bit. But I don't know if this team's going to a bowl, guys. I mean, look at that schedule. 
are they getting the six wins? I don't know, man. Like, they're going to have to upset somebody. And that's not what these power rankings are about. It's not about where I think you're going to finish, where I think your final record is going to be. But it is still, if I say that I don't think they're going to make a bowl game, that means I don't think they're very good because that offensive line, lines of scrimmage just aren't where they need to be. And if they don't make a bowl this year, how does that change the narrative around Shane Beamer? You know, this is a guy coming in this year, everybody loves Shane Beamer, right? Oh my God, he's turning South Carolina around. And it's like, has he really? Yeah, two nice high-profile wins in last year. But what about the rest of the year? What about those games where they just got smacked by Georgia? Which, obviously, that's okay. It's national champion. What about that 30-point loss at Florida? What about the fact that Shane Beamer still hasn't beaten Missouri? All these things I've been saying for the past year about him, I think the mainstream media is going to start asking some of those questions because it's going to finally be revealed. He's going to be exposed. So, yeah, I got Carolina coming in at number 11. But before we move into the top 10, let me again remind you guys about our great friends at MyBookie. As I told you at the outset of the show, we have a brand new promo code for you. Our original season kickoff promo has expired, but MyBookie has been generous enough to hook us up with another promo code for you guys, and that is 200cash. Go to MyBookie.ag. If you're a brand new user, use the code 200cash, and what you're going to get, guys, is a cash bonus, a 10% cash bonus credited on top of your first deposit. Now, you might be thinking, wait a minute, Tyler, 10% is not as good as 50%. So how is this possibly a better deal? Well, fair question. Let me explain. When you get a cash bonus from MyBookie, guys, that is money that's going directly into your account. Typically with these promo codes that sportsbooks give you, it comes in the form of a free play, which is basically a separate fund. And once you use those free plays, you have like a 10 to sometimes even 15 times rollover before you can withdraw that money. With a cash deposit, it's just a one-time rollover, guys. Bet the money you deposit. As soon as you do that, you are free to withdraw that money and do whatever you want with it. Basically, what I'm telling you is this is a no-strings-attached bonus that they are offering you. Other sportsbooks don't do that, guys. There's always strings attached. My bookie is removing those strings, saying, look, guys, we just want to help you guys out. We want to give you some money here so you can bet on my bookie and win some cash and put that money in your pocket and go have some fun with it. So don't let this deal pass while it is active, guys. Again, go to mybookie.ag, use that promo code 200cash to get that 10% cash bonus on top of your first deposit so you can bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with my bookie. All right, guys, let's keep this train rolling. Let's go up into the top 10. Coming in at number 10 in volume two of my Glory UJ SEC power rankings is the Missouri Tigers. And I realize this may seem somewhat low to some of you following the win over Kansas State, who was, by the way, the Big 12 champion last year. And that was a really nice win for Missouri. And I did bump them up based on that. I have adjusted my thinking on Missouri conservatively, but I have given them a little bit of a boost here up from number 12 into the top 10. I'm still not fully buying into Missouri though. And here's why. I still have serious questions about the ceiling of Brady Cook at quarterback. You're going to catch a theme here, guys. I'm very, I'm putting a lot of emphasis on quarterback play because it is the most important position on the field. Now, it's not the only position. Quarterbacks, as you saw with South Carolina Spencer Rattler, I think he's the best quarterback in the league right now, are playing that way. But when the rest of your team has a lot of deficiencies, it might not necessarily matter. You're not winning football games. So it's not the be-all, end-all. But if you have a quarterback, you got a shot. If you don't have a quarterback, you have no shot. And I still don't fully buy into Brady Cook. He's a guy... I think he's, I would give him the nod over a guy like Peyton Thorne. I think he's better than that, but I do think he has a limited ceiling. Now, he does have some experience. He played well against Kansas State, over 300 yards passing, and that surprised me. I did not see that coming, so I got to give him some props there. He certainly made me reevaluate how I look at him, but I still am going off what I've seen from him historically. He hasn't done that consistently. Now, if he starts doing that two, three, four weeks in a row, then okay, all right, man. It's time to it's time to really reevaluate how I look at Brady Cook. Right now, it's one game. We'll see if that carries over into SEC play. But it was a much better offensive performance for Missouri than what I have seen over them for the past, really, I guess I would say in the entire Eli Drinkwitz tenure. Luther Burden has truly developed into a big-time wide receiver for them, which is certainly helping Brady Cook. But I still have questions about their run game. They are not special at running back there. In fact, I don't think they're good at running back. Cody Schrader is fine. He's not athletic at all. Nathaniel Pete transferred from Stanford a couple years ago. Also, okay, fine. Not special there at all. So when you get against the better SEC teams, are you going to be able to run the football? I don't think so. And if you can't run the football, 
Is Brady Cook good enough to just drop back 40 plus times a game and beat you with his arm? No, he's not. I'll tell you that right now. He simply is not. Defensively, I still think they are good, but I don't think all that highly of the Kansas State offense. And Kansas State didn't have their way with the Missouri defense, but they did put over 400 yards of offense. I think Missouri's good. I think Missouri's a solid team. I think they're a, a, probably a 7-5-ish and five-ish team with that win over Kansas State. I think they can get to seven wins, but they really have one playmaker. They have one playmaker on the team, one proven guy. And by proven, I mean he's proved it for three games this year in Luther Burden. Brady Cook, yes, he played the game of his life against Kansas State. He went for, what, 356, I think, something like that. The game of his life. But that's not who Brady Cook has been throughout his career. That's an aberration right now at this point. Now, again, if he starts doing it consistently, I will certainly go back and reevaluate my thinking there. But I'm not ready to do that after one game. I'm not going to be that reactionary. So I do think Missouri is good. They're probably a little bit better than I thought that they would be. But this is a team I think instead of maybe going 6-6 six and six like I thought they would, I think might go 7-5 and five now. I don't think they're going to be a, an 8-9-10 win team at this point. Maybe 8 if things really fall their way. But 9-10, no, that's not what this team is. So I've got Missouri at number 10 in my SEC Power Rankings, Volume 2 of the SEC Power Rankings. Now, number 9, this is a team, I think you can make a strong argument that maybe Missouri should be ahead of them. I would certainly listen to that argument, and I would not fight back against it. But coming in at number 9, ever so slightly ahead of Missouri, I have the Florida Gators. And it pains me to just say that out loud, guys. This is a team that I predicted would go 4-8 and eight in the preseason. It's looking like that might be a little aggressive on my part, but I still think this is a team that misses the ball. I don't think they get to six wins, but that's really more a function of their schedule. Their schedule is one of the most difficult schedules in all of America. And I know a lot of you are probably thinking, what? They just beat Tennessee at home. They, they have to be ahead of Tennessee, don't they? Not in my book. That's not how I do things. Just because you beat a team doesn't mean that you are necessarily better than them. I know that sounds weird. Like, well, you wouldn't have won if you weren't better than them. Florida was better than Tennessee last Saturday on that day. Does that necessarily mean Florida is better than Tennessee? Florida State almost lost to Boston College last Saturday, guys. They won that game by two points. If Boston College had pulled that upset, does that mean Boston College is a better team than Florida State? What if Florida State ends up going 11-1 the regular season? Boston College goes 4-8. and eight. Are we still saying that Boston College is better than Florida State? No. Boston College would have been better on that day. I also think the location of that game, playing in the swamp at night, absolutely gave Florida a boost in that game. And Tennessee outgained them, guys. I know that's not how you win games. Not You don't just add up your yards and say, okay, you got more yards, you win. That's not how it works. But it wasn't like Florida just absolutely dominated the entire game. Now, I will say Florida dominated the lines of scrimmage in that game. And if there's one thing that I got wrong about Florida coming into this season is their, their offensive and defensive line has been better than I anticipated. I don't think either one is elite. They're not. I'm not saying that those are elite units along the lines of scrimmage. They're not. But they're a little bit better than I thought that they would be, at least in the run game. Now, pass pro, that's a different story. I also do think that Florida has two really good running backs. I think Etienne is a really dynamic playmaker in the backfield. I think Montreal Johnson is a, a really good running back. He's not as explosive as Etienne. I don't think he's quite the game changer, but he's still a really good back. But we knew that coming into the season. I told you guys the running backs were going to be the strength of that team. And, and Etienne went for like a buck 75 against Tennessee on Saturday. But the rest of the offense leaves a lot to be desired. Ricky Pearsall is their best player. Now they have this young guy, Eugene Wilson, who they got the ball to like six times on their first possession. Then he went out with an injury. Now they weren't explosive plays, but you could clearly see they were trying to get the ball into his hands. And he's an impressive looking athlete. He was a five-star guy, at least on some of those, those uh, recruiting services. He's going to be a really good player for them, but hes I don't know if he's ready to be that guy right now. I need to see more from him before I fully buy into that. And then at quarterback, they are just as average as grits, man. that That's thats what Graham Mertz is. He's a guy that's not going to go out and lose you a game, but he's not going to go out and win you games either. You're not going to win games because of Graham Mertz. He's not that kind of player, nor does he have that type of weapons to work with at receiver and tight end. So I think that limits their ceiling. So when you play teams like Georgia in LSU, in Florida State. I don't think that you're going to win those football games. I don't think you're really going to have a chance to win those football games because you don't have the type of play that you have to have at the most important position and the skill positions to really be able to pull off those kind of wins and to really threaten those teams. So this is a Florida team all in all that is a little bit better than I thought that they would be. They're a little bit more competent than I thought that they would be. So I'll give them credit for that. I think there, there's a chance, there's a chance that maybe some way, somehow, if they catch teams on the right day, 
that they could get to six wins and make a bowl. I, I still think five and seven is more likely in my opinion, but there's a shot that they could get to six. And if you would have told me that in the preseason, I would have said, you're crazy. In fact, I did say that's nuts. There's no way they get to six wins. But if you look at their schedule, again, this is not a, a schedule-based thing. This, this is a power ring. It's how good I think you are. But okay, so they, they beat Tennessee. That was unexpected. I did not expect them to beat Tennessee. But they lost to Utah like I thought that they would. And they didn't look that great. They lost to a Utah team that did not have the starting quarterback and did not have its best offensive weapon in Brant Keithy. They're going to beat Charlotte at Kentucky. Kentucky's not blowing teams away right now. But at Kentucky, I'm going to give Kentucky the edge right there. They're going to beat Vanderbilt. So that gives them, what, four wins. At South Carolina, that's an interesting matchup. That's a game Florida can win because I think they're going to have the edge on the lines of scrimmage. But it's on the road in Columbia. That's tough. It's a toss-up game. They're going to have to win a toss-up game like that. They're going to have to win a game at Kentucky or at South Carolina or at Missouri. They're going to have to win a game like that or maybe two of those games to get to a bowl. It's the only obvious wins I see. Okay, McNeese. They obviously beat Tennessee. Charlotte, that's three wins. Vanderbilt's going to be a win, in my opinion. That's four wins. You're not going to beat Georgia. You're not beating LSU. You're not beating Florida State. So you need two more wins, get to six. That means you have to win two out of at South Carolina, Arkansas at home, at Missouri, and at Kentucky. Can they get two of those? Maybe. It's more likely than I would have told you in the preseason. I still don't think I would go that they are going to get there. I would say they probably get one of those four right now. In my opinion, I, I, I can see too. It could happen, but I still wouldn't be ready to put my money on that right now. All right, let's move on up here. Let's go to number eight. And right now, I've got the Kentucky Wildcats sitting here at number eight. Now, you guys know, if you remember back to our preseason predictions episode right before the season kicked off, I was high on Kentucky. I was very aggressive with Kentucky. I had them going 10 and two. I had them losing the two obvious losses to me are Georgia and Alabama. They're not going to be either one of those teams. Alabama, we'll get to a little bit later. Not looking great right now. Still, Bama over Kentucky. Yes, they're going to be Kentucky. Those are two losses, in my opinion. But outside of that, I thought every other game was a very winnable game for them. In some of the tougher toss-up games, they get at home. So I know that that was aggressive. And maybe 9-3 was a, a more realistic expectation for them. But you get Florida at home. You get Missouri at home. You go to Mississippi State and cross-division play. Mississippi State is terrible and they get Tennessee at home. So they get some of those games I think are winnable games at home. And that, I think that gives them a shot there to maybe get nine or 10 wins. But through three weeks, they have not been an overwhelmingly dominant team. Now, you could also say the same thing about us against UT Martin and Ball State, right? Not at least to our standard of dominance. But they played Akron last week, guys. Akron is not a good MAC team. I mean, MAC teams are MAC teams. Akron is a lower level MAC team. And they were never in doubt of winning that game. But it was a very methodical win. Now, we know Kentucky is a team that wants to run the football, long, slow, methodical drives. And so when you have these new clock rules that the clock doesn't stop after first downs, it shortens games, right? We talked about this with our team. It shortens games and reduces margins. So they actually had to have their starters in about midway through the fourth quarter to put that game away. They were always up in that game. They were never trailing. It wasn't really ever particularly close. But they're not blowing teams away. But that's kind of what Kentucky does. That's, Kentucky's not a team that doesn't ever go out there and beat a team by 40, 50 points. It's just not what they do. Their offense isn't built to do that. They just operate in a different way. The reason that I had Kentucky at 10-2 and two in the preseason was my faith in their defense. They're still really good on defense, guys. That's what I expected, and they are. I believe Devin Leary is an upgrade for them at quarterback, and so far he has been. That has played out. I think Ray Davis is a solid back. If, the, if there is a, a, a drop-off from Rodriguez, it's a slight drop-off. My big question with Kentucky was their offensive line because that was the problem for them last year. Their offensive line has been better this year, but still not what we saw from Kentucky you know, two, three years ago. We had some NFL dudes on that offensive line. So that's my big question. That's still my big remaining question for Kentucky. But I like the quarterback play. Leary is doing some good things. He's the best quarterback they've had in maybe the Mark Stoops tenure. They have a really good defense. They're going to be able to play the kind of football they want to play when they get in the SEC play with a lot of those toss-up games at home, I still think this is a team that's going to end up with a really strong record. But even though there are some teams in the SEC that I don't think will end up with as good of a record as, as Kentucky will, like maybe a Texas A&M, I think Texas A&M is probably a better team than Kentucky. But Kentucky just has a very favorable schedule. And that's why I had them going 10-2, and two, maybe 9-3 is what they'll end up being, something like that, based on what we've seen through the first three weeks. But their schedule is just favorable. Yeah, they got to play Georgia. Yeah, they have to play Alabama. But the rest of the schedule is extraordinarily winnable. But that also doesn't mean that they're a, a top shelf team in the SEC. All right, let's move along. Coming in at number seven, we have the team that has made the biggest drop 
from volume one to volume two, and that is the Tennessee Volunteers. I had Tennessee inside the top five. I had them at number four in volume one, guys. That was a very tentative number four. That was me saying by default, I haven't seen enough from teams like Ole Miss and A&M and Arkansas yet to say I think they're going to be better than Tennessee. Now I have. And my concern all along with Tennessee, you guys know this, going back really all summer long, especially with our Tennessee Scout and the episode, I've made it very clear I had no faith in Joe Milton. I know everyone else around the country was convinced he was going to be great, at least the talking heads out there, because, oh, man, he's got a strong arm. He can throw the ball 500 miles. Okay, he's great. Is he? This guy that got beat out twice? You expect him to be better than Hendon Hooker was last year or anything remotely close to what he was? No, there's no way that was going to happen. And that is clearly playing out. And now the Tennessee fans who one star bombed me for saying that he wasn't what you, they thought he was going to be, now they're actually seeing for themselves and they're having to face reality. He's not what they thought he was going to be. It's obvious to anyone. You can't bury your head in the sand anymore. But it's not just Joe Milton, guys. The issue for Tennessee against Florida was the same issue they had against us last year. When they face teams that can control the line of scrimmage on defense and can defend their run game with even numbers, they are not equipped to beat you because their entire offensive system is predicated on creating favorable matchups with their numbers games. What they're trying to do is run the football. They want to run the football. I told you guys many times, they ran the football more than we did last year. The average college football fan wouldn't think that, right? Oh, Tennessee, they're the ball all over the place. Hendon Hooker, Jalen Hyatt, bomb, bomb, bomb. Yeah, you remember those plays, but how those plays get set up? Because they're committed to run the ball when they had the numbers advantage in the box. And basically everyone else that they played last year, besides us, they were able to run the football when they were even numbers in the box. We would not let them do that. We were able to defend their run game with two high safeties, and that means we were able to give safety help over the top to our corners, and they were never able to get the one-on-one matchups that they exploit and that they make a living off of. And Florida did the exact same thing to them. And that is why I had to drop Tennessee, because if Florida could do that to you, Florida couldn't do that to you last year. If Florida can do that to you, then what is Georgia going to do to you? What is the Kentucky defensive front going to do to you? What is the Alabama defensive front? Although I don't think that they're great, but they're still good, still really talented. What are they going to do to you? Hell, what is the Missouri defensive front going to do to you? Because it's clear, guys, if they can't run the football, they're not going to beat you. You're going to have to help them out. And with Joe Milton, that's a massive step down from Hendon Hooker. So if you can't run the football and you couldn't win with Hendon Hooker when you couldn't run the football, how are you going to win with Joe Milton when you can't run the football? You're not. That's what we saw on Saturday night against Florida. That's why I had to downgrade Tennessee. Their offense is not the same. It's not. It's not going to be the same this year because their offensive line is not as good. You lost Darnell Wright, who is an NFL guy. He's playing the NFL right now. You're not as good on the offensive line. Cooper Mays hasn't been playing. Maybe he'll come back at some point. He probably will, but he's still not like a game-changing offensive lineman. They don't have those guys right now. And then when you match that with a significant downgrade at quarterback, your, your offense is not going to be what it was. And if their offense is not what it was, their team is not going to be what it was because the offense was the driving force behind what they did last year. Their defense is good. It's a solid defense, but the defensive front is not elite. It's fine-ish. They were getting moved around by that Florida offensive line, but the defense is overall good. It's just not an elite defense. It's not good enough to compensate for their offense taking the kind of step back this year that it is clearly taking. So yeah, I, I know that's a big job. That might seem a little bit reactionary, but I mean, I had to downgrade them guys because they're not equipped to do the things that made them good last year. They're just not equipped to do that this year. So I got Tennessee coming in at number seven. Coming in at number six, I have the Arkansas Razorbacks. Now, guys, I know I watched every single snap because I have a, a win total bet on Arkansas to go over six and a half, and it hurt me. It hurt my heart to watch them blow that game against BYU. I know they lost that game. And you're like, Tyler, how can, how can Arkansas be above Kentucky? How can they be above Florida? How can they be above Missouri? Missouri just beat Kansas State. Arkansas just lost to BYU at home. How can you possibly have Arkansas all the way up there? Well, let me explain, my friends. Arkansas has made an art of blowing football games over the past two years. They had absolutely no business losing to BYU. They dominated that game but they made a few critical mistakes that blew that game for them. K.J. Jefferson, who everybody spent the entire offseason propping up, so I mean, he's the best quarterback in the SEC. He's not the best quarterback in the SEC, okay? I don't care what his numbers say. I don't care what his completion percentage is. The guy is mistake-prone, and when, the, when it's the biggest moments, 
he is going to make a mistake. He has very little pocket presence. Now, he's improved over where he was last year in terms of like the things quarterbacks have to do, pocket presence, all those types of things. But this guy, his brain just shuts off sometimes. And it drives me insane. It drives me insane. He's still good. He's still a good quarterback. Don't get me wrong. And he's so hard to take down. They didn't run him enough in that game, in my opinion, because he's just a tank. And when you don't have your starting running back, your star running back, who might be the best running back in the SEC, and Raheem Sanders, who did not play in that game, by the way, you got to lean on KJ. Now, I know they don't want him to take shots. I understand that. But you got to win that game. And they really didn't start running him enough until it was too late. And Sam Pittman kind of was the biggest reason why they blew that game. They were up 10 points late in the second half, and they had the ball was on their side of the 50, and it was fourth and one. They decided to go for it. I don't know why they're going for it. BYU could not move the football, but they decided to go for it, and BYU stops them. You give BYU a short field, BYU takes advantage of it, they gain the momentum, and they some way, somehow end up pulling out the late victory in that game, despite the fact that Arkansas outgained them by 150 plus yards in that game. And that's what they did to me last year, guys. I mean, I know it's my fault. It's my fault for falling the same trap again. I know. I know. They lost four games by, I think it was a combined 12 points last year. Or four games by a combined 16 points. Something like that. And all those games, they could have and probably should have won. But they have just made an art out of blowing games. It's it's fascinating, honestly. It's, it's depressing when you need them to win. But it's fascinating to watch a team do basically the same thing over and over again in games like this. But... Still, if you look at them from a talent standpoint, they're a good football team. I walked away from that game saying, oh my God, they blew that game, but I still feel good about Arkansas. I still feel good about the bet because this team's going to get over six and a half wins, right? This, the schedule's tough. The schedule's tough. So they needed that win, but it's not about where I think you're going to end the season, what your final record's going to be. It's how good are you when you play, you play a team on a neutral site. And I think Arkansas is a good football team. Their defense has certainly improved from where it was a year ago. I mean, they held BYU to about 275 total yards. BYU really couldn't do anything offensively. Their biggest play was on a trick play. It was a wide receiver pass that went for a touchdown. And so you, you got to defend those plays. Those plays count too. But down in and down out, they played really well on defense. Down in, down out, they played well on offense, especially without Raheem Sanders. When they get Sanders back, it's going to be a good football team. They're still a good team. I, I, I like what they have a receiver. They have some big dudes out there. They've got this freshman tight end who is the highest rated recruit in Arkansas history who is going to be a really good football player, caught a touchdown pass in that game. I think Arkansas is a good football team. I think that they, even though they lost to BYU, I know. I still think they're better than Tennessee. I think if they play them on a neutral site, they beat Tennessee. I think they're better than Kentucky. If they play them on a neutral site, I think they beat Kentucky. I think they're better than Florida, Missouri. You get the point, right? I know they lost to BYU, but I'm trying not, I'm not going to be reactionary about that because I still think that this team has the pieces to be good if they can just figure out a way to not blow games. Don't blow games that you're dominating. It was like the AM game last year. They were beating the crap out of AM for most of that game, and they just freaking blew it. KJ Jefferson, again, trying to go Superman and leap from the six-yard line, trying to leap in the end zone. You make it to about the four-yard line, you get the ball punched out, and they pick it up and run it back for a touchdown. Those are the kinds of things that KJ Jefferson does. That's why I say sometimes his brain just shuts off. It does, and he kills his team. But he's good. Like He's talented, does some good things. It's just, hey, KJ, can you maybe not make debilitating mistakes that cost your team's games? That, that would be awesome if you could do that. Please, maybe, possibly. So there is 14 through 6, and we're going to jump in the top 5 here momentarily. But first, let me take a moment to remind you guys about our great friends at Alumni Hall. I know a lot of you are coming in town again this weekend. We've been fortunate. We've had four home games for the first four weeks. So if you haven't had a chance to take advantage of all the great Georgia gear, all the, the awesome deals they've got going on at Alumni Hall when you've come into town for games, this is the week to do it. This is the week to do it. All the best brands, Nike, Nike Golf, Cutter and Buck, Peter Millard, Johnny O, Southern Tide. They have the best collection of vintage George gear that you will find anywhere. I promise you guys that because I love that kind of stuff. And that's my go-to to get all the Georgia vintage gear that I have. And I have a very nice collection of that in my closet, in my drawers, all over the place. It's just kind of everywhere in my room. And for you ladies out there, they do also have, and Charlie can attest to this, they have the best selection of women's George gear that you're going to find anywhere. I mean, seriously, again, things that you just don't find anywhere. It's like, wow, this thing actually exists because I haven't seen this anywhere else. Alumni Hall's got it. They've got you guys covered. So make sure to stop in this weekend inside the Epsbridge Shopping Center right off the Oconee Connector, or you can check them out online at alumnihall.com because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldog shop. All right, guys, let's move into the top five. Coming in at number five, and I feel kind of icky about this one because it's kind of like Arkansas. They just find ways to lose games and to really waste the talent they have on hand. 
but I've got the Texas A&M Aggies coming in at number five. Now, this game in a week or two between A&M and Arkansas, it's going to be a fascinating game. It's two teams that consistently find ways. They're good teams, but they find ways to lose games. They should have better records than they do, but they just find ways to lose games. A&M, to me, has more talent than Arkansas, clearly, based on recruiting rankings. So that's why I give them the slight edge here over Arkansas. But a and I, I do think that Connor Wegman is a guy that could be a really good quarterback in the SEC. He's taken a lot of strides from where he was last year, and that's a big reason why I still have him in the top five despite the loss to Miami. There's just still something missing about a It's hard to really put your finger on it. It's, it's, it's almost impossible to lose the kind of games they lose the way that they lose those games with all the talent they have on hand. They still have so much talent, guys, defensively. It's baffling to me how teams are able to run the football on them. It's just weird because they have all these stud five-star defensive linemen. The development's just not there. That's really what it is. The development is not there. At linebacker, they're not special. They're fine. They're pretty good in the secondary. Offensive line has been solid. It's just not an elite offensive line. Now, receivers might have the best receiver group in the entire SEC, one of the best in the country, in my opinion. And that group, along with Wegman, I like their running back group as well. I think their skill talent is really, really good offensively. It's just everything else. But when you have that type of talent you are capable of beating just about anyone in the league. So I have them inside the top five. Again, I don't feel great about that because they don't play like a top five team in the SEC. At least they haven't yet. But still early in the year, I have seen some positive signs from the offense, especially Connor Wegman at quarterback. They're certainly better off there than they really have been at any point in the Jimbo Fisher tenure in College Station, in my opinion. I do think Bobby Petrino, as the season wears on, is going to have more of an impact on this team. And they moved the ball well against Miami. They were up early in that game defensively. They just they just blew it, man. It's, it's weird. Like Defensively, they have so much talent, and yet they're just so average on that side of the ball. It's crazy to me. But the talent's there. I'm going to stick with that. They're improved at quarterback. So I will ever so hesitantly have them inside the top five in volume two of my SEC Power Rings. Coming in number four. is another drop here. They dropped from number two to number four. I have the Alabama Crimson Tide. And... Man, is Alabama really the fourth best team in the league? Like, when you look at it, it's like the way they've played, they're not, right? But that's, that's the thing about the SEC this year. Who's great? I mean, even we are what we have been in the past couple of years. Like right now, I think we'll develop into that kind of team as long as we just don't screw up, as I've talked about this week. But we're not quite what we have been. Ole Miss, it was looking pretty good. LSU is looking solid. I mean, they obviously lost a game to Florida State. Looked really good against Mississippi State, though, although Mississippi State is not very good. I just don't know if the SEC is as strong as a conference from top to bottom as it typically is. So despite the fact that Alabama has not looked good, I mean, guys, you you saw what happened against South Florida. I mean, I, I knew the score was 3-3 at half, so I went home after our game on Saturday night and put on that game from halftime on and watched that game. It's bad, guys. And now they're playing quarterback roulette right now, going back to Jalen Milrow, and that's what I told you guys. That is why I, I once again said, I don't think this is going to be a vintage Bama team. I don't care that Nick Saban's big mad. I don't care about that. I don't care about J.C. Latham talking big trash at SEC Media Days. I don't care about that. That, that. That's fake juice, man. That's fake juice. That's what Alabama fans used to say about us and other teams, right? Oh, it's fake juice. Well, now, now Alabama's the fake juice team because they're not playing like a legit championship contender. They're not. And yes, the quarterback play has been exactly what I thought it was going to be, what I told you guys it was going to be. It was going to be a disaster because there was no reason for us to think it was anything better than that coming into the year. There was no reason to believe that. And that's exactly what it's been. But it's not just the quarterback play. That is the problem. They're still not special at receiver. Still the same guys. That's also what I said about them coming to the year. It's the same guys. Why do we expect them to be better? They were fine last year, but we expect them to be elite this year. We expect Jermaine Burton to just all of a sudden become that kind of guy. Why? Why would we expect that? Their offensive line lost some of the best players and they're going to be better? Because that's what people were saying. There's going to be a better offensive line for Alabama than it was last year. And it's, it's like, why? Again, why? Oh, because they're mad? That, that means they're going to be better? That's crazy. That's the most shallow analysis I've ever heard in my life. But that's what you were hearing. That's what people were telling you. And I'm sitting here saying, why? Like, give me an actual reason. Give me actual analysis to explain to me why they will be better. And I never heard it and I haven't seen it yet through three games. But there's only so far you can drop Bama. Again, the rest of the league hasn't been great either, and they still have so much talent. It's still one of the, if not the most talented teams in the country, according to the blue chip ratio that 247 Sports puts out every year. They are by far the most talented team in the country. But there's been a developmental issue there. They've had they've had changeover at not just the coordinator positions, but at the position coaching positions. And they don't develop guys at the same rate that they once did. And this team over the past couple of years has become so quarterback dependent that when they don't hit on quarterback and you lose a guy the caliber of Bryce Young, 
you're going to take a step back. And that's why I wasn't, I mean, I, I had Alabama going 10 and two. I said nine and three was a, certainly a possibility, but they had all their toughest games at home. And I still think 10 and two is a very reasonable expectation for them because again, all those toughest games are at home. I thought they would lose to, to Texas, which they did. And I think there's games that they could lose. They could lose at a They could lose this week to Ole Miss. They could lose to LSU at home, which is looking more and more likely. Although I still don't know if LSU is a dominant team either. But they get those games at home, and that does give them somewhat of an edge there. Maybe 9-3 ends up being more likely because uh, the quarterback situation is what I thought it would be. It's a disaster. It might even be worse than I thought it would be, to be honest with you, which is crazy to think because I was not high on it. But I have them at number four because it's almost by default. Who am I going to put above them? Am I really ready to put AM above Alabama? No. I mean, AM went to Miami and got knocked down. <laughs> Arkansas, they just lost to BYU. I can't put them above Alabama. Tennessee, I can't put them above Alabama. So it really is by default that I had them still sitting inside the top four at number four. But this is not a championship team, guys. They're not winning a championship. Just go ahead and book it. I know, okay, they've only lost one game. Everything's still out in front of them. What have we seen from this team to tell us they're going to win a championship? They're not going to. It's just as simple as that. But I got them at number four in volume two of my SEC power rankings. Coming in number three. Now, this might be a little controversial because, I mean... They don't have the talent Alabama has. I've got the Ole Miss Rebels at number three. I like this football team. I like the way they're playing. We know what they have offensively. Jackson Dart's playing a higher level than he did last year. Quinshaw Judkins is banged up right now, which gives me some concern heading into Alabama. And look, Ole Miss might very well lose to Alabama in Tuscaloosa this weekend. That could happen. But based off what I've seen to this point through three weeks, Ole Miss is playing better. I know they have not played a team the caliber of Texas. I understand that. But they've played on the road at Tulane. Tech is tech. I mean, they are what they are, but it's a power five team. They beat them handily at home, really without their star running back, Quinshaw Judkins, that full health. He wasn't going to go. He was doubtful all week, didn't really practice all week, and gave it a go and wasn't effective, but he was out there putting on the line for his team. But they still won that game going away. Ole Miss is a good football team. And here's the thing about Ole Miss. We know what they have offensively. Like I said, they're good. They're good. Now, if Trey Harris, their best receiver, missed a game against Georgia Tech, hopefully he can be back against Alabama. I don't know. That that concerns me if you have Trey Harris, your star receiver, who had five touchdown catches over the first two weeks, and Quinshaw Juckins, if they don't play or if they're just limited against Alabama, that could certainly impact that game. But if those guys are playing, they could absolutely go in to Tuscaloosa and win that game because their defense is playing at a higher level. It is still not a great defense. I'm not trying to suggest that it is, but it doesn't have to be. And that's what I told you guys on the Ole Miss guy in the episode. They don't have to be dominant on defense. They're not going to be dominant on defense, but they just have to be better. They have to be competent. And I felt like they could get to competency under Pete Golding. He's not Kirby Smart. Alabama fans know that. They'll tell you that. But He's a guy that was going to fix a lot of the issues they had with that defense because they were just, they're running a 3 3 5. It was a very passive defense. Now they're going to the traditional Kirby, Saban, Bama, Georgia style defense, and they're being far more aggressive. And they're just, there's a different mentality in that defense. So they're just, they're better on that side of the ball. They rush the passer better. They're pretty good on defensive line. And so with that improved defense to go along with what I think is a really good offense when they're healthy, this is a good football team. And I, again, We'll fully break it down for you guys on our Picks of the Week episode to end the week. I think there's a real good chance they could go in and knock off Alabama right now. Alabama is, they're teetering, man. Ole Miss could go in there and deliver that knockout blow. They could, very well could. But I do like what I've seen from this Rebels team so far this year, and that's why I had them jump from number five in volume one to number three in volume two. All right, top two, you know who we got left, right? We got Georgia, we got LSU. I still have Georgia number one. I've got LSU at number two. Now, why do I have Georgia over LSU? I think we're a better football team. <laughs> Can we just stop there? No, full stop? No. We'll go a little bit more in detail there. We are still better defensively. We, in my opinion, have a better offensive line, although we have not been playing to our standard, to our level right now. Jaden Daniels is very talented and very dangerous at quarterback. He's also prone to some mistakes, though, and I still have questions about him as a consistent passer of the football. I know against Mississippi State, he was really, really good throwing the football. I mean, he was dominant in that game. I mean, they were lights out playing Mississippi State. I mean, that was an unbelievable performance by the entire LSU team. It was probably the best performance that Jane Daniels has had in an LSU uniform. He was 30 of 34 for 361 in that game. Had a bunch of yards on the ground as well. I mean, how many? He had 15 carries for 64 yards, four total touchdowns. Best game he's played as an LSU Tiger. But that's not who he's been consistently. And again, Mississippi State, guys, not much of a measuring stick. I think it's one of the two worst teams in the entire league. But I'll be entirely honest with you guys. If we played LSU this week, that'd be a very close game. We are not playing at the level that we were playing at when we played LSU last year in the SEC Championship game. 
LSU is playing at a solid level. I know they lost to Florida State, and the final margin there was a big margin, and everyone wanted to point and laugh at LSU and say, ha, 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 LSU sucks. I, I told you guys after that game, I wasn't ready to say that. I still had LSU in the top three in my SEC Power Rankings because they dominated the first half of that game. The difference in the game was LSU did not take advantage of their red zone opportunities. In fact, they weren't even getting points. They were going for a fourth down and got stuffed, whereas Florida State in the second half, they took advantage of their red zone opportunities and scored touchdowns. It was a, it was a tale of two halves. LSU dominated the first half, and they just didn't really maximize all their scoring chances. Florida State dominated the second half, and they did maximize all their scoring chances, which is why the final margin ended up being what it was. But if you watch that entire game, it wasn't LSU was just being dominated by Florida State all game long. That was not the case at all. That's still a very good football team that has a lot of talented players and has some really serious experience coming back at some of the most important positions. And we are still very much a work in progress. I think, as I've told you guys earlier this week, when we get to the end of the season, by the time that we could potentially play LSU, possibly in the SEC Championship game, we are going to be a very different team. And I would be very confident at that point that we are going to be a... a, a solidly better team than LSU. Right now, that's not the case. We're still trying to figure some things out. And really, it's the injury situation. We are just devastated. You guys know we're decimated by injuries right now. But once we get healthy and once we get more experience, if we can just weather this storm over the next couple of weeks, we are going to be hell to deal with by season's end. And I still give us the edge over LSU because we have, number one, a more talented roster, one through 85. Number two, we have a better coaching staff. And number three, our defense is just better. Their secondary, I am still concerned about. I have some issues with their secondary. I think they're pretty good in their front six. Now, Harold Perkins, this is the, the biggest question in college ball right now, in my opinion. What in the world are you doing with Harold Perkins? You're taking one of the most talented players in all of college football, and you're playing him out of position. This guy is a pass rusher extraordinaire. That's what he does. That's what makes him special. That's what makes him different. And you're trying to play him as a stand-up inside linebacker. Now, to give him credit, against Mississippi State, they started using him more as a pass rusher, especially on third downs. But the first couple of weeks, they were not doing that. Against Florida State, it was tragic how they used him. I mean, just terrible. They might actually have won that football game if they would have used him a little bit differently. Now, they needed to make some first downs on fourth downs inside the red zone. But it was just crazy to watch what they were doing with Harold Perkins. I think they're finally getting the message there. And, and he's great. He's fantastic. But there's questions in the secondary. I think that we are still stronger in the front six. I think that we overall are better defensively. They might be more explosive offensively right now. They are. But again, by this end of the year, once we get healthy, we get Lad back, Carson gets rolling, our ground game gets into rhythm. We start building some momentum there. This is going to be a different Georgia football team. I think our ceiling, our potential is greater than LSU's. Now, the margins right now, are they pretty small? Yes, I would agree with that. But right now, I got Georgia still at number one in volume two of my SEC power rankings and LSU jumping over Alabama from number three up to number two. So there you have it, guys. One through 14, volume two of the Glory UGA SEC power rankings. Of course, you guys are going to disagree with some. You might agree with others. And that's a beautiful thing. Let me know what you think, guys. Hit me up on social media at Glory underscore UGA. What did I get right? What did I get wrong? What do you agree with? What do you disagree with? I'd love to hear from you guys. But thanks for being here, guys. Always appreciate each and every one of you. But we are not done yet this week. Charlie and I will be back with you guys on Thursday night with our week four picks of the week. I think we finally got a good feel for these teams, guys. We've seen a lot of these teams in action now. And I think we're about to start hitting our stride. So make sure to check back on Thursday or Friday. We'll have those picks for you guys. But thanks for being here, guys. I'm Tyler. And as always, go dawg.